Hello and welcome to the Filmmakers Podcast. This is a podcast where we talk filmmaking, from indie film to studio films and everything in between. How to get them made, how to make them, and how to try not to F it up, in our very, very humble opinion. Today, we're talking about how to produce a low-budget indie to win BAFTA awards and critical acclaim. I am Giles Alderson, co-writer and director of psychological horror film The Dare and the World of Darkness featured documentary and producer of pitch black horror comedy A Serial Killer's Guide to Life. And I'm joined today by Christian James, who's the director of Freak Out, Stall, Goblin and Fang... Fanged up. Fanged up. Thanks, Giles. I thought you were looking at me like I had to do that myself. I was hoping you would. I was like, oh, I don't like doing my own intro. I yeah. don't know what it is. I like hearing you say it. I do my own all the I time. should really intro you. You really then, should. But yeah. Anyways, we thank should you. mix that up next you week. You make it sound so good. We're recording today at Directors UK. Yeah. So it's a bit echo, a bit more echo, a bit echoier. Bit echoier. Let's go with that. Uh, than what you're used to. But um, And this is where safe. directors hang out. Yeah, they let us in for some reason. They let us in. Um, and yeah, recording the podcast here. So wonderful. Mm. So why not subscribe to us on iTunes? You know we're on there. Do that. Um, means the world. Just subscribe, subscribe, download them all. We go up the charts. Feels good. We feel wanted. And obviously we do this for free for you guys so that we can learn and you can learn. So do your very best for us. Help us in any way you can. Be nice. Retweet us as well. That's always a nice thing. Retweet the latest episode. We appreciate that. And listen to some of our previous episodes with some brilliant people like Mark Strong, Mark Sanger, Sam Miller. Uh, the list goes on and on. Phil Hawkins. To name a few. Just to name a few. Mm. There we go. Right. Joining us today to talk filmmaking is Jack Tarling, producer of BAFTA-nominated and BIFA-winning God's Own Country. Thank you very much. It's Welcome. a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Absolute pleasure Jack's to have you here. Jack's intro top-notch it was top-notch you have to say top-notch Biffa winning and BAFTA nominated well that's what what, what more do you need could we that? say it with ours I know it wouldn't be true but we should just we should do yeah, that no one's going to do research yeah. no one's yeah. going to check and director of the dare the BAFTA nominating BIFTA <laughs> <laughs> winning the dare it's very unlikely to win a, a BIFTA is, is the dare but God's Own Country is an amazing film but let's before we get to that how did you start in filmmaking what was your journey because you started off directing as well didn't you you made shorts uh, yeah, I mean, I guess I started off. I, I wanted. I realized I wanted to be a filmmaker when I was maybe like sixteen or something like that. Um, I watched a hell of a lot of films and then kind of started thinking, why shouldn't I do that? Then initially, I guess I wanted to direct because I didn't. I mean, I didn't know what any of the roles on a film were. I knew I wanted to make a film. I assume, and I wanted it to be my my film, whatever that meant. I uh, had some ideas, and I, you know, if I wanted an actor to be in the film, then I didn't really know what. A producer even was so obviously i would find said actors and myself and phone them up and try and organize them and the same went for everything else cameras and locations and so on so but i didn't realize that you would actually delineate those roles later in in life and in my career so um so what age would you have been when you were making those first first thing i ever shot i was probably 17 or something yeah, yeah at college um did you do so, filmmaking at college or was it just yeah i mean i did like a media a level or something alongside other a levels uh nice was, what was inspiration what what made you want mm. to get out and make a short what because there's, there's a tipping point there somewhere along the way like thought okay so i'm gonna do this myself what was that can you recall what that well i, I didn't want to make a short to be honest i remember having <laughs> these angry conversations with my parents and saying you know all these other people are making short films and I don't want to make a short film because I don't watch short films. I watch feature films. So I'm going to make a feature film. Um, then came to realize how difficult that was. Um, and uh, so there was uh, a certain maturing process required along the way. But um, yeah, <laughs> after after one or two failed attempts at things that 
that were far too ambitious at uni um you know was studying film uh, in newcastle um and because you're from there right well uh, ish uh, they won't let me say that i'm from london but they <laughs> won't let you say <laughs> the geordies right. no i'm not an honorary geordie yet apparently uh you have yet. To, well you have to be born there you can't be an honorary one apparently right. Right. um but i lived there for 12 years uh, my formative years adult life whatever you want to call it so um uh now uh back in london but uh i was a very strong affinity with the northeast yeah i guess it was there that i started really making shorts again i you know i i directed a couple of things there but what i kind of came to realize was that the fantastic work i did on some of those films was necessary was was uh perhaps the preparation for it rather than what i did on that one or two days of directing um so um i i came to learn that my real strengths lay in producing uh i became in demand for that and so after uni again yeah i did direct one or two of very small things but um yeah i i mean i certainly don't consider myself a director now that was sort so you're of not on set looking at <clears throat> looking at a director and i going i could do that i could i could uh, i know no, what I could. yeah I no, could. Um, it's, it's maybe more, sometimes yeah <laughs> it's more of a complete opposite of yeah. going thank god i've got somebody yeah. here that knows how to do that yeah. and um, so what was it about producing that that appealed to you what was it that made you go yeah I'm, this works for me um, well, I think it's one of the most varied jobs you can have. On the one hand, I, you know, I see myself as a kind of conduit between the creative and the financial and logistical sides of the industry. So, um, I am engaging my creative brain all the time, reading scripts, bouncing ideas with directors, thinking about who the right, you know, uh, cast or HODs to hire are, things like that. Um, on the other side of that, I'm then, you know, working on finance plans, uh, by things like that which might sound uh, horrendous for <laughs> some of your listeners but I actually do get a kick out of all of that side of things as well wow. um, yeah. so and then there's all the stories that um, and places that you end up going to to get yourself into a particular project you know you end up researching um a particular i don't know line of work or a story of a historical figure or you know a country where a character is from or something mm -hmm. so you just find that you're constantly being dragged in different and interesting directions yeah because producing i mean it's kind of something me and cj just generally do because it's part of what trying well, to get a project you're made better at it than i, I i'm i've don't have a producer's brain i think my wife will agree with me on that but mm. i it's it's funny i always think a good director if you look at any of our best directors like your danny balls etc they've always got a there's a producer director team mm. and i think uh you need a producer with a director's brain to it's all very well having a producer that knows how to get the money but they also need to know how to how best to spend that money. So I think you need a, to have a director's brain is really important for a producer. Mm. So then for me, I think of knowing a producer has done that role and knows what you're going through and why you're making that decision potentially is really important. Yeah. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think whilst I may not have been particularly successful in that area or some other areas, but I think there is a lot to be said for having dabbled in, you know, same at uni, I recorded sound on some per poor person's film that, you know, <laughs> ended up with terrible sound, but at least I know. It's so important, isn't it? You at understand least I have an entry roles. point into what the challenges of, yeah. you know, uh, somebody doing that are. Yeah. Um, do you value a sound person, a good sound person? <laughs> certainly, <laughs> certainly, I do after having screwed it up once myself. Yes. <laughs> so I suppose what I was going to say, because I, I think we want to sort of jump into the latest, but obviously you didn't go from, okay, so you've directed a couple of shorts, realize that producing may be your thing. How, so 
you're, it sounds like you had a hankering to go straight into a feature. Yeah, I mean, I guess shortly after uni, I was um, in demand as a producer for shorts um, and did a lot of shorts in the Northeast. How are you finding the money for those as well? Because that's a yeah, battle in yeah. itself, isn't it? I know. Yeah, I mean, uh, at the time, there was more support for new talent through the regional screen agency's structure. Um, so a lot of mine were funded by Northern Film and Media at that point. Mm, when they were um, around. Are they still around? Or yeah, not I mean, Northern money? Film and Media still, um, are still there supporting filmmaking in the northeast uh but they unfortunately don't have short film funds and they're not as well funded as they were under the previous structure so you you utilized it basically and did it well i guess so So i did a lot of shorts good and bad i mean not all of them are amazing pieces of work but i think people um felt that i had at least handled them well to the best of my abilities um when when those opportunities came along but it's something we talk about actually is if our old stuff it's like well we made that that's fine we learned something from it but that doesn't mean we need to show the world every single short we made mm. we'd show the the ones we're happy and proud with because not all of them can be i think that's a really good point uh, there's nothing wrong with uh, making something that doesn't quite work mm-hmm. and leaving it on the shelf i mean a trickier if it's a feature when there's more money and <laughs> to get sold but yeah, yeah. I, I would agree and that's what shorts for him anyways I mean there's a fair few in our closet I know I've started mm-hmm. a fair bunch and never finished them because like you just you kind of realise you needed that creative spark and it was never there and yeah. you know so yeah. it's, it's as important to learn that as it is it is and one of your good ones was Assessment starring Joe Cole indeed yeah brilliant so Joe Assessment Cole. was really well received um, tricky project to make it's um got a lot of locations there's a lot of deer in it um, uh, well and deer you don't own no one owns deer right so you've got to <laughs> it's true the crown owns them so you can't actually film deer is you, that is that right yeah well we uh, managed to shoot them in uh richmond park richmond where park, they're quite yeah. tame um yeah. so we got some amazing you need to be careful saying we have to shoot them because people yeah, literally think yeah, yeah. yeah. there's a lot of vegans who listen to you, this yeah, show so, yeah. yeah when he says shoot yeah <laughs> Um, <laughs> in the filming sense shoot yes. indeed yeah so that that film was very well received though that I think was shortlisted for BAFTA as well look at you and was that and you and BAFTA oh, you and your BAFTA's oh, you know, going on about making us feel bad we been dancing around each other yeah. <laughs> so uh, was that I suppose was that one of these sort of like uh, career boosts you've, you've had a few sort of career boosts along the way and that was opened a few more doors presumably once you got a BAFTA nomination <laughs> We, we didn't, yeah. We were shortlisted that year, so it wasn't actually publicised, but we were we were relatively close. But, oh. um, yeah, um, I mean, all of these things, yeah, that film, you know, but it, it played quite a few festivals, and we did win Best of Boroughs, uh, Film London Best of Boroughs um, at the time. So, um, yeah, all of these things are real mini boosts, and, you know, um, I, I've always tended to have quite a few different things going on um, at any time. Um, and, you know, something like that uh, is still probably, yeah, shorts-wise, the one that I feel was the most well-rounded and, and worked the best and achieved the most um, and is still something that I'm, you know, very proud to show when when uh, when that's useful. So, Which is, which is. And then you, you sort of were involved in London's Finest as well, right? The feature film there. Yeah, so uh, London's Finest, UK title is Hackney's Finest, US is London's Finest. Um, that was something I'd been aware of, uh, a filmmaker called Chris Bouchard that I knew a little bit. Um, and... I knew they were making this and I hadn't uh, been able to get involved um, as they were approaching production. I was committed to a lot of other things, um, but I kind of 
was tracking that project and then they shot it without me and then uh in post i got to see an early sort of trailer for it and i thought it had uh a lot of heart and looked really um entertaining and i thought they'd done a great job uh with the resources they had and so on um so i got involved at that point as a co-producer mm-hmm. mainly because they were very talented filmmakers but they weren't that connected to the industry um and so i felt i could probably add some value in terms of um getting that film into better shape uh throughout the post-production period um but also getting it in front of sales agents and distributors to help it reach an audience Mm -hmm. so that was really my role on that and how did you go about doing something like that because to me that sounds alien that sounds really tough it's not the world that i know i know creative and i make things but actually getting it to the right people how do you what's the process there what how do you get that to the right people firstly i guess you need a bit of knowledge about who uh is out there what what you know what companies are operating in that space mm-hmm. and um which of them are potentially interested in the type of content that you have which is down to research i mean you know spreadsheets a, a little bit of spreadsheets yeah. i mean for me <laughs> your knowledge of it is spreadsheets. <laughs> for me a lot of time spent on people's websites having a look at you know oh so it was that company that distributed this film mm. um okay well if they were into that maybe they'd be into ours mm-hmm. and then you know a lot of the time it would be the opposite um you know you'd look you at they've changed tactic or something often is yeah it? and it's so you know and it's about um and obviously trying to watch as many films as possible as well because again it helps if you've seen something and then you can say well maybe they'd be interested in this if they had that and then it's okay yeah you know talking to people finding out oh actually that company yeah you know i know they've got a lot of this on their website but at the moment they're really looking for something different now so you might be of interest there so as a means to an end between pet projects you'd also line produce as well is that right so yeah so initially starting out i always wanted to be the producer and i tried to approach my projects however small um as the producer and then kind of grow the size of those productions over time um with hindsight, I would have also, alongside that, done a little bit more of, I feel, what the other way into things can be, which is to find the thing that's already big and start working at the bottom and working your way up it, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Um, so with hindsight, I'd have done a bit more of that as well, i.e. crewing on much bigger projects by other people. So thankfully, a kind of uh, break came my way at one point uh, with a company that I had production managed some shorts for um, called Third Films and they were a Newcastle based company who um, were about to do uh, the second feature of a director called Dwayne Hopkins his first film uh, Better Things had been in Critics Week in Cannes and they I think you know took a bit of a risk on me um, as a line producer Uh, I hadn't done it before um, and I hadn't really crewed that much in production on features I'd just done a lot of shorts but they knew me um, and they saw some potential uh yeah i was asked by the producer to uh line produce that film which was with the bfi and uh, film agency wales and so on right and so yeah that was a huge step up um big learning curve uh but suddenly there i was working under another producer um but you know at a fairly senior level on uh, a production of that already had quite a lot of kudos behind it because it you know the filmmaker had already um made a film that had been very well received so that was a film called bypass um Mm. yeah and that really helped 
me to learn um, about, you know, as much as you you can research things but um, and think you might know because you've made shorts, how to make a feature. It, there are a lot of things that I came up against which are very different. Um, it's nothing like being on set and seeing mm. mistakes get yeah. made. And almost, I, I've done a few, Giles, you've done the same, but I've been like associate producer on a couple of projects. Nothing to do with me creatively, but it's just I was sort of like digging, helping out. But being able to see a production from afar is a really great and a rare really opportunity. And yes. You can sort of see small decisions being made here, which trickle down and echo and suddenly they're huge mm. mistakes, you know, a yeah. few days Mis later. Miscommunication, maybe, yeah. isn't it? If things aren't said in the right way to get down to the right departments, then it just, well, why didn't you tell them? Well, I didn't know. It's all these little things that it's being in control or being the producer's team need to tell their troops, if you like, and it's very important to get those things right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's a lot of that. And I think also though, for me, you as a line producer do have relationship, you know, something of a relationship with the financiers and so on, because you cost report to them and you have production meetings with them. So um, assuming you do your job well, you become on their radar and more trusted. And so for me, it was also useful um, uh, for, for moving forward. Um, and so I'd been developing and essentially struggling to finance my own films for a while. And, you know, line producing uh, was another very important step in terms of being able to give financiers the confidence that I was a reasonably safe pair of hands, um, even for a first time producer that, you know, would uh, have the opportunity to do something myself with projects and directors that I wanted to work with. Excellent. Gaining valuable experience and uh, keeping a roof over your head at the same time, which is mm. all the more important. Yes, it was also uh, very important in terms of that, yes. <laughs> so good to you, Heather. So then you worked on In Extremis, Macbeth, and Await Further Instructions. Was that before God's Own Country or afterwards? Uh, that uh, sounds like an easy question to answer, but it's not. <laughs> uh, so... Um, yeah, so I yeah, so I line produced several films, but for me as a producer, the two films that I have been a lead producer on are Await Further Instructions and God's Own Country. Uh, Await Further Instructions was actually financed and shot before God's Own Country, um, but it's taken longer in post-production. So God's Own Country um, is certainly what I'm best known for because uh, that was shot very shortly after Await Further Instructions and was then completed sooner um, and released uh, and uh, so yeah as some of your listeners may know premiered at Sundance um, in uh, 2017 so about a year, a year ago, ago now yeah where uh, the writer-director Francis Lee won uh, Best Director um, <laughs> in the uh, World Dramatic Competition yeah. um, and from there we went on to Berlin uh, Edinburgh winning more awards Prior to Sundance where had you played God's Own Country and what kind of were you confident going? I mean, obviously you're getting into Sundance, already you must be confident, but the journey to Sundance, how did that unfold? Um, well, I mean, Sundance was the world premiere of a film, so virtually nobody had seen it. I think it's really important to keep films pretty under wraps um, until... Uh, Till you have that big splash premiere if you can secure that um so i mean we completed posts on god's own country probably three to four weeks before you know it played at sundance so they would have seen a rough cut what it was picture locked but there was still uh yeah i think what they initially saw was ungraded and the sound hadn't been mixed and so on but it's a minimalist film isn't it and it doesn't need the story's all there in yeah. the performances so you don't need 
I, I think this sounds. I think you'll know where I'm getting, but I don't think the grade is going to affect the story you're telling. The story, you the know, performances, and the it feeling, enhances, sure. but it's not going to. I, I I would tend to agree with you for for that film. Yes. Um. So yeah, as you say, all of those elements uh, enhance the storytelling. But yes, I think ultimately what they could see was the heart of the film, um, which is very very uh, authentic and true to itself. And you know the performances, uh, yeah, were were really there on show. Um. And it's an incredibly well shot uh, film, mm-hmm. regardless of whether or not it's been graded yet. So. So um, I think they understood clearly what the film was going to be and I think felt confident that if we'd got it to that stage in the good shape that it was, that they had the belief in us going, you know, the last couple of steps um, as well. So, um, yeah, I mean, we're very grateful to any festival that will select a work that's not completely finished. But Did you just send it off to them? Did you say, right, we're going to send this to Sundance and see how we get on? Um, it was presented to them uh, at the British Council uh, selector screenings. So the British Council um, each year for the major festivals tend to host the, the programmers of those festivals in London, which means that uh, they get to see those films in a cinema at the BFI usually I think so that's a nice way to present a film to them for sure um, rather than on a link or whatever how do you get to that stage was it, was it because BF- uh, that, that is actually open to everybody so oh, wow. um, anyone can apply to uh, the British Council to have their film presented at those screenings There's... they're going to be inundated oh, no. <laughs> yes they Films are. from Giles and I so. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um, yeah, it, it, the the programmers don't necessarily get to watch everything in the limited time that they have, mm-hmm. um, as I understand it. But the option is there, and if if they're not able to see it at that point, they will still catch up with it later. Right. So look, if you've not seen God's Own Country, it was in cinemas. It got rave reviews across the board, pretty much. Um, it's a wonderful film. It is out on the 29th of January for you to watch on um, VOD on DVD at that point which we'll come to in a bit so it's set in yorkshire it's about a young farmer called johnny saxby that's as if you don't know the story he's got a daily frustration his daily life he's binge drinking his casual sex until the arrival of a romanian migrant worker for lambing season it ignites uh, an intense relationship between the two and it sets johnny on a new path directed by francis lee as you've said it's starring josh o'connor alex sacrerino uh, Sekriyanu, yeah. Sekriyanu. Gemma Jones and Ian Hart also star in it. So how did you get involved? How did Francis first contact you? Because he was an actor for years and he's been trying to make a film for a long time, from what I gather. How, sure. how did you so, um Yeah, so Francis and uh, Manon Ardison, who is uh, the other producer that I worked with on the film, mm. and I all met on a networking and development programme called Triangle, um, which was being run in the north uh, in 2014, I think. Um, okay. And so uh, we all met uh, for the, each other for the first time on that scheme and um, uh, producers were being pitched multiple projects by uh, the writers and directors that were on that scheme Um, and so I probably heard I don't know like 60 or even 100 10 minute pitches over the course of a couple of days and this just felt very much like the kind of standout uh, story from a filmmaker that really understood what story he was trying to tell Um, he also could speak about this subject matter from an uh, 
interesting and very uh, authentic and authoritative uh, perspective um, given that you know Francis is himself from a farming family mm -hmm. very close to where we actually eventually shot the film um, so he really really understood the world and the characters and the story is about the two guys it's a love story between those guys uh, so it's set in Yorkshire on a farm yeah it, there's not many films out there like that so it, you could see the appeal but you've also got to look at that and go well actually it's hard to sell with no names in it it's hard to unless it's amazing which it is how do you get it out there and get it seen and you've done an incredible job because even though the film's amazing you've done an incredible job to get it where it is so let's let's just jump back a tiny bit so Francis approaches you he goes yes look we've got this you meet at Triangle how then do you raise the funds for this because it sounds like it was maybe a, a three-year job to raise the money yeah so um there was a scheme uh, called i features mm -hmm. um run by creative england uh, and the bfi and bbc films also partners which was opening its doors to applications a few weeks after triangle which i think was probably no coincidence between those two mm. uh schemes and organizations um <laughs> so um we are uh, all kind of recognized manon and i uh, you know in particular that um, iFeatures was a, a scheme that was looking for regionally set stories, preferably by regional filmmakers. And this, and obviously they shoot on very low budgets. Um, so um, we felt that this could work uh, for the, you know, very well actually for the parameters of that scheme. So um, we put in an application and uh, thankfully were selected for development on iFeatures. And it's a scheme that, uh, select a sort of pool of filmmaker teams with early stages projects and then develops those and reassesses every sort of three or four months and teams then progress on or not uh, to the next stage. So we went through a year's worth of, uh, of development with iFeatures um, and as I say, the partners on that were the BFI and Creative England, who, whilst we weren't ultimately uh, one of the iFeatures films, we then went ahead to finance a film with the support of BFI and Creative England outside of the strictures of the scheme, essentially. Did the film in that year of development with iFeatures, did it change or what, was the, what, what differences might have been taken on board? There obviously was development during that time. I would say um, that the film is structurally very much the same as what Francis had originally pitched us. Mm -hmm. um, it was really about um, exploring the characters um, and making sure that the themes uh, that Francis was wanting to explore, that they were really being properly exploited if you like within the material so it was a case of it was a case of making sure that everything was on the page that we wanted an audience to be feeling and that that character journey felt properly satisfying by the end of mm. watching the film we didn't um want uh things to be too easy for those characters yeah i was nervous the whole time and, uh, bear with me but it's mm. it reminded me i get the feeling the similar thing to have to, when watching a horror movie i was tense i thought and, something bad was yeah gonna i'm happen. always on the edge of my seat like something's gonna happen someone's gonna come in mm -hmm. someone's gonna see something and i the it's just it's i it's, thought the dad was gonna see something it was yeah, all gonna I was fall always, apart yeah. i thought oh, I was like, spoilers <laughs> so, well, it's, it's, yeah. it's that, uh, mild spoiler. Mild spoiler. But I was the same. I, I was 
constantly on the edge of my seat mm. wait and it's one of those slow burners and I think that the slow burn almost kills you in, in the right way it's mm. like oh god oh god I can't I don't know if I can watch any more of this it's too hard but yeah, and but rewarding but very yeah. rewarding the end yes it's, it's so lovely even at the end without spoiling it you thought something was going to happen and it was so nice that yeah it just just sort of moved along in it wonderful it's a wonderful film really do check it out do go see it we'll, we'll plug it again at the end and it will be on the show notes as well as to where to watch this film and buy it and download it and talk about it with your friends because this is wonderful and deserves to win a BAFTA for sure so you're now in that stage where you're developing it and you're thinking are they actually going to put the money in are we going to find money from somewhere else what what was the process next to get it actually filming yeah so there was a kind of transitional uh, point between um, us uh, between the end of eye features for mm-hmm. our project and finding that there was still uh, a very real and significant support or, or desire for this film to be made at the BFI at Creative England and so on so I think maintaining our momentum at that point which could have been a bit of a hiccup for the project was important yeah because it could be hard you're going through all that and you go oh do, are we doing it again are they going to say yes yeah because hard work right yeah because there, there was a a danger that it could have felt like a backward step actually ultimately once the right conversations have been had it was um very clear that um it hadn't been at all and that there really was a great love for the project um mm. so yeah and you know it was a case of uh, putting the finance together so um creative england and bfi uh both yeah were, were keen to support with a, a an award for production um there was a bit of uh, additional development done as that was all coming together and then we needed to find uh a little bit of extra finance so that was a post-production deal um okay. and uh, a tax credit uh mm-hmm. which will be familiar to most of the producers listening um Indeed. as part of uh, any kind of finance plan of a uk film that's a usually. whole other podcast that's lightweight Indeed. how did you it was, uh, Manon was yes it so Manon I produced with yes so was that the f- the first time you were working so directly with another producer and how did you divvy things up how did you get the spreadsheets <laughs> um, how did I get the spreadsheets yeah, did you say, how did you listen mean? Manon I'll do this, but I do the spreadsheets. Oh, yeah, because I love the spreadsheets. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, um, so on this and um, on other, uh, well, on Await Further Instructions and so on, um, I've always worked with another producer. I mean, uh, once you get into it, there's more than enough work. Yeah, <laughs> and it, would done, it just so. naturally find its way? Yeah, I think, so Manon and I quickly fell into a very kind of uh, trusting relationship. I mean, we... Um, we shared everything so there was you know every email that's been sent on the film pretty much has both of us copied so we would always know what uh, each of us were doing and nothing would you know I would never send a budget or something you know into the financiers without um, passing it over to Manon first so transparency um, again as you're saying communication 100%. transparency let the ego go and just yeah uh, no absolutely so so everything was um shared but equally we took the leads on uh certain things depending on where our strengths lay so having line produced previously yes i did the budget um that kind of then meant that i would take the lead on the finance plan and other things finance wise i guess whereas manon worked a little more closely on the day-to-day running and making sure that the momentum of the project uh, was maintained um, working closely with francis and so on so yeah you know she would probably have a slightly 
briefer glance at the things that I was doing, flag up a few things to me in case I'd missed them, etc. And vice versa on her things, you know, we were across each other's work, but we found, you know, who was going to lead on certain things. So it became a you know, very good working relationship in that way. Indeed. Um, what did you bring from Await Further Instructions onto God's Own Country? What did you learn from the first feature that you produce you know yeah so having time. having shot um await further instructions three or four months before um which was also shot in yorkshire although it's a big place and we were on the opposite side um <laughs> but yeah i mean lots of crew um who you know i'd liked working with were able to work with us um and i mean it's really hard to almost put my finger on it but it's just that sense of leading a production as a producer yeah, being um, the leader yeah everyone is different and this was certainly a very different ball game on god's own country completely different for a number of reasons but you know everything that you do um you know other things i'd line produce as well all kind of fed into um us being able to deliver that that film I you guess. felt you were at the right experience level to deliver a film that's bafta worthy you could always have more but uh, <laughs> always but yeah you know just about uh mm-hmm. we we managed to make it work yeah. yeah you did and what about filming it itself was there any issues with obviously the yorkshire locations obviously the sheep rearing all that kind of stuff what was the pitfalls you had yeah, I mean, it's definitely challenging. Uh, we shot the film pretty much in sequence, which was really important to Francis. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I think can be very useful uh, for cast in terms of mapping their own emotional journeys. However, it does throw up uh, a lot of additional production challenges. You don't necessarily go to a location once. You might have to go back there several times if that lo- location crops up, you know, at various points in the script and things like that. Um, so that was a real challenge challenge um but it was something that we you know we we backed francis on um and uh yorkshire is a challenge in itself i mean um <laughs> we were shooting in pretty remote locations farmlands it's difficult to get all of the kit you need on and weather yeah. getting, weather up, getting up the top of the hills yeah. in so, one day so yeah. and, uh, this is one of those annoying filmmaker things but I was watching thinking, God, how, was this 80 yard? How much? It doesn't feel like it's 80 yard. No. Is there? Or no. If, there isn't. <laughs> no, so I is mean, this all... is a real testament to wow. Phil a good Cape. Yeah, yeah, Phil Cape, who was our sound yeah. yeah. So he did a fantastic job. Um, and I, from memory, I don't think there's a single line where we had to replace dialogue. That's um, insane. There nice. was a few bits of murmuring here or there or a, a word somewhere in the sound design um you know that we came back in for later but there was no kind of now mimic that amazing performance that you gave us nine months ago um with another actor up on a hillside but you do it in this little box yeah Yeah. because you're so right you just do not get the same performance as as brilliant as actors are at that job but and when you're on set and you're up against it and it's it's much easier do you know what get the visuals work on the sound later and but it you just kick yourself when it's, you're in that booth. What I've learned as well is to just do the sound straight afterwards. Just yeah, get the yeah, mic yeah, right near yeah. the faces, say the lines again with the same performance. Yeah. They still have similar feeling. At least you can match it. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Worst case scenario. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, that's actually... Best case scenario. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if, if you need to do it If again, you need to yeah. do it, just yeah. do it. If the sound guy goes, I'm not sure it was windy that point, just do it yeah. again. Yeah. It yeah. saves you so much in post. So you made the film, you, you, you edited it. It looks great. How did you then go about distributing it? How did people get involved or was it all sort of in place because the BFI were involved? 
Um, no, I mean, um, so we had shot the film without a sales agent or a distributor, UK distributor, um, being involved in the financing or anything like that. So um, there were a number of parties that were kind of aware of the film and were potentially interested, but subject to seeing it. Um, so around about the same time that we were uh, submitting the film to Sundance, i.e. when it had first reached a point where we felt like it was just about okay to show we introduced it to protagonists uh who uh, became our sales agents so they came on board around a similar time to us being selected for Sundance and then began the process of selling the film you know off the back of Sundance essentially so Picture House who were um who are our UK distributor uh bought the film during Sundance and we felt that they were a very uh, good partner for this film and uh, they have certainly proven to be so. Indeed. And Orion are distributing as well, aren't they? In America, yes. So right? in the US, um, it's Samuel Goldwyn and Orion uh, partnered on the US release, uh, which the theatrical uh, was in, in November. For you now, the listener might assume it's going to be easy now because you've got your BAFTA nomination and your Biffers and all that stuff so can it be a, a blessing and a curse or you know yes and no i mean i think the key thing is you're being nominated for that film and you know for us it's about continuing to hopefully broaden that audience mm. for god's own country but i think directors uh, and writers probably tend to get approached more in terms of you know we're desperate to do whatever you've got next i think as a producer the onus is always on you um so you have to create momentum so it's not like my phone was ringing off the hook the day after you know the nominations were announced or the day after we won an award at sundance um there was a lot of people saying congratulations yeah, facebook's but, probably going crazy yeah, yeah for sure um but um ultimately you know producers generate momentum and for, you know for projects so it's a lot easier for me to get meetings that i want to have now which is brilliant mm-hmm. um but it's still really down to me to go and knock on those doors and um take out projects and say this is what i believe in this is what i am now doing next mm. and that is still very much a discursive process and it's not that people suddenly go great that's what you want to do let's do that you know i will still get asked do you think that this is going to work for the market have you got the right uh, partners on this mm-hmm. so far you know is the script at the right point i mean you know nothing's going to happen overnight you've still got to hustle you've still got to work hard is basically absolutely. what you're saying yeah just because you've got a bafta nomination absolutely but you are wearing a lot more gold and there's a swagger about you now yeah it's a shame it's a podcast <laughs> i guess the viewers can't see all the gold um but it's jangling <laughs> brilliant yeah look uh, jack this has been absolutely amazing god's own country is out on the 29th of january um uh, yeah, where might we find it so yeah where where will it be it's available for pre-order on itunes and amazon it'll be uh on dvd um yes is that in america as well is that worldwide this is just the uk dates just the, UK uh, the us dates, dates are following know. shortly on from that though yeah okay not far off it so do pre-order it honestly it's a fantastic film it's wonderfully british it's everything you'd wish for with some amazing performances so well told uh, and francis lee and yourself and manon really deserve the 
the accolades, honestly. And that sound operator as well. Yes, and the sound indeed. operator. Phil, yes. Phil, Phil, thank Phil you. really deserves uh, it. If, yeah. if I can give one quick plug as well, actually, sure. um, the yeah. one part of the BAFTA process that your listeners are still uh, able to influence um, is our lead actor, Josh O'Connor, is uh, nominated as a rising star. Yeah. Um, so that is a public vote. And so uh, please do give him your support. Yeah. Love that. Get on that. Deservedly so. It definitely. If you've not seen the film, do it anyway, just because you're listening to this. Why not? You've got this free advice. Do it. Get involved. Um, remember, if you're lucky enough to do well and rise up, it's your duty to send the elevator back down. Until next time, thank you very much. Thanks, Jack. Really appreciate your time. Thank you, guys. Thank you very oh, much. Oh, wait a sec. Where, where can people follow you online? Because you, ah. you run Shudder Films as well, right? Uh, I do, yeah. So Shudder Films is uh, my production company. So you can follow us at Shudder Films. Yourself? Uh, can we follow you? Uh, well, that, that, uh, that is me uh, operating that Twitter account. So uh, Jack Tarling at Shudder Films. There you uh, go. Yeah. That's your email address you're just giving out. <laughs> uh, no, it is not. Okay, so that's all right. <laughs> that's, that's my Twitter handle. Good for you. Um, <laughs> Number, do you want to give that? <laughs> yeah, why not? Um, the show notes, yeah, we'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, it's uh, shutterfilms.com, right? Uh, .co.uk, actually. Oh, uh, right. Yeah, I think, I think .com as well. Um, diverts. Um, yeah, um, but also if you want to follow the films, uh, it's at GOC Film for God's Own Country and at Await FI for Await Further Instructions, uh, which will also be having uh, announcements soon. And what is next, more importantly? Um, yeah, so next will be uh, festivals and uh, later this year the release of Await Further Instructions, um, which uh, have you the time? Shall I give a quick oh, yeah, please rundown do. Yeah, yeah, on what yeah, that yeah, is? Yeah, yeah. So Await Further Instructions is a very, very different film to God's Own Country. Um, it's uh, a mystery horror film. It's the story of a dysfunctional family uh, who wake up on Christmas morning and discover they've been sealed inside their house by a mysterious black substance. And there's a line of text on TV that says, stay indoors and await further instructions. Nice. Thank you. Mm. So uh, that film uh, has been uh, written by Gavin Williams and directed by Johnny Kevorkian. Uh, who, love Johnny Kevorkian. You've seen... I've uh, seen all his... Yeah, all his old stuff. He's got a yeah. Disappeared. Got a yeah. Brilliant film. Yeah. 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 yeah, absolutely. Great director. Oh, wonderful. Okay. This is a whole other podcast. We should... We need, we to, should need to get, get Johnny, Johnny on. Back on when it, Johnny, yeah, yeah. when on. it's uh, approaching release, I would love to come and talk in more yeah, detail. Please do, yeah. Uh, please yeah, it stars Sam Gittins, uh, mm-hmm. Nia Janayek, uh, uh, David Bradley of oh, uh, yeah, Game of Thrones and yeah. The Strain and Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, Grant Masters, Abigail Cruttenden. So some fantastic uh, talent in the film. Excellent. Yes, we'll get you back on. We'll talk about that with Johnny because I'd love to meet Johnny and talk to him anyway. Um, so that, with that, Jack, thank you so much for your time. Go watch God's Own Country do please buy that. Honestly, it's worth it. It's 2018, people. Make your film in 2018. Hashtag the shit out of that. And if you're lucky enough to do well and rise up, it's your duty to send the elevator back down. Till next time, we will see you next Tuesday. Thanks, Jack. Thank you very much. Thanks, CJ. The legend. Thanks, Giles. Thank you. Love you. <laughs> Awkward. Done. <laughs>